Welcome to Explore Yellowstone Like a Local, the number one podcast for Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks and home to the top-rated guidebook of the same name. And I'm your author as well as your host for this and all the other podcasts, Teddy Garland. And this is a story podcast. This is kind of a new series I started up for you guys just to hear some fun stories that aren't mixed in with the the driving section of Yellowstone Park. A lot of you guys say you love hearing those stories, so I decided to kind of pull some of the stories out from the podcast. You don't have to listen to me talking about what you're going to see around the next corner just to get to a funny story. And this story actually takes place at Lake Henry's, and there's kind of three stories mixed in here of me being different ages over Lake Henry's, which is about 15 miles from West Yellowstone and the entry gate to Yellowstone Park. And Lake Henry's is where I grew up as a kid uh, all summer, every summer since I was, God, till I was about 40 some odd years old. And then my parents, my dad had got drug up there. This is where my granddad Fred started bringing our family up here and all the way back in 1919. And uh, yeah, Lake Henry's is a beautiful lake and you can catch some big trout out of there. We're getting ready to discuss how to catch some big trout out of Lake Henry's. You guys got to remember the fun doesn't stop when you guys leave the gates of Yellowstone Park. I mean, you guys can get a lakefront cabin over there, rent a boat. I'll tell you how to rent a boat in the guidebook and all this stuff. And you guys can, when you get out of the park at 3 or 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you can go do a little fishing and catch a world-class trout over there. In fact, uh, when you used to look before the internet was invented and you had a road atlas, you know, your dad would have a big map or a road atlas in there, and you'd look at a picture of Idaho and Yellowstone Park and all that because it kind of all inter- interconnected right over there. That would show Lake Henry's, and underneath the, the caption in Lake Henry's, it would show in parentheses, it would say, world-class trout fishing. And I'm telling you guys, there are some monster trout in Lake Henry's, and I'm getting ready to tell you guys about one right now, along with some really fun other stuff, too, so we're going to talk about. So, all right, for those of you that might be listening to this podcast, just your first podcast you've ever listened to, this is just a story podcast of me to tell you guys some good stories about the area of Yellowstone Park and the surrounding areas. Uh, if you guys want, you can pick up a guidebook. Just go to our website, exploreyellowstonelikealocal.com. You can get one downloaded to your phone or device for $11.99, and it'll download instantly to your phone. Or if you want a paperback copy, just to order one from our website. But if you're already here or you happen to be listening to these podcasts from outside the United States and you're coming to Yellowstone Park and you want to have one when you when you arrive, just simply call the book peddler in West Yellowstone or you can swing by the new store that's going to open up. I kind of threw a, a little teaser out there on this brand new great store that's going to open up. It's called West Park Outdoors right in the middle of West Yellowstone. They'll have paperback copies there as well. So, all right, so let's get started with this story. These are kind of three stories about Lake Henry's, which is only 15 miles from the west gate of Yellowstone Park, about me growing up over there, and it's kind of their fun, interesting, and stories about things that have happened to me and my family uh, over there as we grew up. So, all right, here we go.
Kind of had to wait a second before I jumped back into the podcast because one of the helicopters is flying by. I don't know if I've ever covered that with you guys, but you can go to the West Yellowstone Airport and they offer uh, helicopter rides and flights over Yellowstone Park and the surrounding areas over here. It's really popular, very, very popular. It's just kind of started in 2021, I guess. This guy just kind of popped up with this really nice helicopter out there and then started give, giving rides and flights and all this kind of stuff and man he's non-stop all day every day all summer and uh, he kind of skirts Yellowstone Park over there but then he hits around Lake Hebgen and Henry's Lake like we're going to talk about then over by Big Springs and the Henry's Fork and kind of swings in with great views of the Tetons and everything and that's a really popular fun thing and he doesn't charge that much money I really don't remember how much he charges but it wasn't exorbitant or anything else and he just kind of gives ride after ride after ride and then also there's a guy that has a small uh, four-seater Cessna and uh, he takes off and gives people rides over the park you can actually fly a plane over Yellowstone Park so he can fly you out right over Grand Prismatic and but yeah, it's really cool. That's a really neat deal that they do out of the West Yellowstone Airport. So you can go to their website, I guess, and figure all that out. But uh, yeah, that, that helicopter flies by more, more often than I would care to admit around my house because I live just north of the airport. But anyway, so let's get started with this um, stories about Lake Henry's, which is just right outside the boundaries of Yellowstone Park. And the first thing we we're going to talk about, like we just mentioned a little while ago, is catching a big trout. So here goes this first story. So I was probably 14 years old. My cousin Freddie, he's about four years older than I was. And anybody that's listened to my other podcast knows he was just a hellion guy. He used to go in and lock the gate going into the swimming area up the fire hole and all kinds of crazy crap. But uh, but anyway, so he gets the idea that we're going to go catch Jargo. And Jargo was the nickname my Uncle Jack, Freddie's dad, gave to the largest trout that ever existed in the world. And he lived in the bowels of Lake Henry's over there. And, and uh, what happened was this this place we stayed at on, on the west side of Lake Henry's was called Staley Springs. And Staley Springs lived up to its name. There was a spring that kind of bubbled up out of the ground under the water in this little horseshoe-shaped bay. It was only about... God, 150 feet across, 200 feet lengthwise, and there were just docks circled around the outside edge of this horseshoe. And at the bottom of the horseshoe, there was a wire going across there that the rangers had put across to keep people from fishing in there because these monster fish came in there and to get in that cold water that was bubbling out of the ground. And they had a spring coming in off the hill back in the back over there by old man Hamilton's house and he's the guy that owned all of the Hamilton stores in Yellowstone Park and he lived right there my dad ended up buying the cabin next door to him but he and my dad would go fishing all the time and so uh, this spring came right there by old man Hamilton's store off the hill and dumped into this same bay and so all of these monster trout I mean you could just wheel your boat in there to park it and you just look over the side I mean you'd see just 
huge trout, three foot long trout, just these monster trout. And then, you know, they would just congregate in this area and everybody would be out there waiting for them. They would had a, like a little lane going through the moss that led back out to the main lake and everybody would get their boats parked around that lane trying to catch those big trout as they worked their way from the spring at Staley Springs out into the main lake right there. I mean, there was lines, there was hundreds of feet of line and fly lures and all this crap stuck on that heavy duty wire they had running from one end of the the, the other and it said the little signs that said no fishing and I mean everybody's trying to cast underneath that wire it's about 15 feet in the air and there's lines just spooled through it like you can't believe hundreds of feet of fishing line on that damn wire going across there so alright so here's what we were going to do Freddie goes alright we're going to sneak out at night and we're going to go down and we're going to get in somebody's boats and we're going to go down there and we're going to catch you know a, a record trout a big trout that you can mount that's what we want. That was our goal. We were just going to catch a big trout that we could mount and say we caught that fish. That was our goal. So we could jump in one of the trucks, old Fort Jackson. We drive to West Yellowstone. We go to this fly shop. It's changed hands a couple of times. I can't remember the old name of it, but uh, the old Iowa football coach used to own the damn thing for a little while. And it's right next to the Playmill. The Playmill Theater is still there. Now it's a fly shop. I think it's Big Sky Outfitters now, but it's changed hand a few times. So we go in there, and what they had all these flies and stuff anywhere, but they, they, uh, they had this little area of joke lures. They were just so big that it was just, they had like, you know, for people to you know, buy and they would hang on their wall or something. It was kind of a joke. And so I buy this Mickey Finn joke lure. It has, you know, Mickey Finn's red and black stripes on it and all this kind of crap. I mean, the hook was about three inches long and about as big around as you're, you know, curled around and your thumb could fit in between this, the barb and the hook and the hook right there in the little loop. It was huge. I mean, this, you know, you're not going to go catch a normal trout on this stupid thing. It could take this thing deep sea fishing. And so Freddie buys something else and all this kind of crap. So we jump in the car and we drive back and everything else and you know I'm out there tying on a, that lure onto the, one of our spinning rods out there and dad goes what are you doing? <laughs> I told him, you know, he couldn't pull the wool over my old man's eyes, save your life doing anything. I just told him, I said, you know, we're going to sneak out at night, get a bunch of worms. I was going to get about 18 worms and gob on this joke lure. And he goes, all right, well, here he goes, be sure and get what's-his-face's boat down there so you can crouch down there. Because if you get caught, man, it's a few hundred bucks. I mean, it's like a $1,000 today's money. This is back in 19... 70, 74, 70, right along through there. So, you know, know, I wasn't even going to try to pull him over my dad's eyes, you know. So anyway, he goes, all right, you know, just be quiet when you guys go out there. So we wait till about 10 o'clock, 1030. Everybody's in bed by then. And um, the lake closed at nine. So everybody get off the lake and have dinner and go to bed. So we waited about 1030, 11 o'clock and everybody's in there. And so I meet Freddie out there and he's staying over in cabin seven. We're staying in cabin four right there. And right in there next to the deal, right next to to the little spring area right there the horseshoe going down this old rickety set of stairs down there and got these docks down there with rot rusted out barrels trying to hold them up you hell you walked out on a dock to get in somebody's boat and you, your water went up to your ankles so we ju- i jump in this one boat and freddie's about 20 feet you know b- over to my right about three boats over and uh you know i've got this 
all these worms gobbed on this damn hook. And Freddy's over there, and he throws one out there, and he's only got two or three worms on here. My thought process was I was going to get the only fish that was going to be able to get the lure and all my worms in his mouth was Jargo. That was the only fish with a mouth big enough to get on top that could actually get my lure in his mouth. Freddie goes, all right, I got one, got one, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just, you know, rear back, and I throw this thing out there, you know, and it hits the water, and it sounds like a, you know, somebody threw a four-pound rock out there, you know, and I'm reeling it in. I'm laid down in that guy's boat and everything else. You know, they got a little old janky light over here to the left. I'm trying to stay hidden underneath there. You know, I'm just thinking we're going to get thrown in prison for about four years if we get caught. And I can feel all the fish hitting this lure as it's coming back towards me. Just bam, 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 but nobody can get it in their mouth. Just, you know, and I'm reeling, reeling, reeling in, you know. And and uh, I know I'm getting close to the end, so I figure it's right there by the motor, right there by this guy's motor. So I stand up to cast again. And right when I stand up to cast again, boom, uh, this fish hits that lure. And the next thing I know is I'm looking at the tip of the rod right in front of me. It's just bit in half. I never I didn't reel in or anything. I just grabbed this net I had and I stick it down next to that motor. I can't even see what I've got on the end of the deal. I pick that that thing up and that fish is going berserk. It is about four feet long. It's bigger around than my whole leg and he is going crazy. And I look that fish up and I go, I can't even hardly pick it up. And uh, I go, Freddie, I caught Jargo. And he goes, no shit. I go, yeah. Yeah, come on, let's go. I mean, first cast. <laughs> and so I, I didn't even unhook it or anything. I just stuck the net over one deal, this aluminum net. And I was this, you know, about four foot long with this huge net. This fish is against my back going absolutely ape crazy shit. And I just have the rod in my left hand and the net in the other. I'm get out of that boat, run up that hill. I'm running up these old janky wooden stairs. By the time I get to the top of the stairs, that net's broken in half across my back. It's just bent like an L. And I just run up there and I go to the front in the door. I go, Dad, I got jargon. And uh, he's in there reading a book. He's waiting to see what happened. You know, he's not even asleep. You know, my mom's in there passed out. And so I go in there and I come around the corner. I, you know, I'm trying to get the thing out of its mouth. It's lured. It's just this fish is huge. I mean, you could stick to both your hands in his mouth. He was so big. And He's just going crazy. I get him out of that net, and Dad comes out there, and he goes, holy crap, you caught Jargo. And so I sit there, and I got him out of the net, and I put him in the sink, and he went from in one side of the sink and over the middle and out the other. He is going berserk all over the kitchen in this little cabin. My mom comes out there, and she goes, get that damn fish out of my sink. And Dad goes, where are we going to put it, you know? So I just sit there, it's just going berserk. And so Dad goes, Freddie, here come Freddie came running in, you know, not far behind me. 
oh my god, you got Jorgo. And so Freddie goes, Dad goes, dump that cooler out. Mom goes, you're not putting that fish in that ice cooler, you know, because you had to have, they had a refrigerator, ice makers and stuff in them back then. They had a refrigerator, kept you cold. And so we'd have to go up and get ice up at the main deal where they had an ice maker at the lodge, this old janky out lodge. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. And Dad goes, we got to do it. And so we filled it up with water. Freddie dumps it out. We fill it up with water. We put that fish in it. And so here the plan was we were going to go out. The lake opened at 4 a.m. So we were going to go out at 4 a.m. and go out there and fish for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and came in and say, say I caught it. And so that's what we were going to do. So that was the plan. It's like, oh, my God. you know. So I'm in there. You could just hear that fish going, just beating that cooler to death all night long. And so finally we get up in the morning and, and we go down there to the boat. It's pitch black out. You know, we take the cooler with us and go down. And then we got fishing for an hour, hour and a half. And go, Dad goes, all right, I'm fish about ready to die. So we come back. We go back up and, and we go to Lillian. Go up at Lenny and Merle, these people that owned the, the Staley Springs back then. You know, they were just getting the shop opened up. The little store opened up at 6 a.m. And uh, we go in there and, and Lenny, hey, Teddy caught Jargo out on the lake, you know. And... You know, Lenny goes, oh, my God, he caught Jargo and all this stuff. And what'd you catch him with? I said, green woolly burger, you know, because that's normally what I fish with, with this little green woolly burger on my fly rod and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I was a good fisherman. My dad taught me since I was little. I was six, seven years old. I was a good fly fisherman. And so, you know, I just never had caught a big enough trout to mount. And so... <laughs> Here I am. You know, I was just this little kid. I'm, you know, fighting 13 or 12 or 13 or 14 years old. And uh, this trout is almost as tall as I am. And Lenny goes, well, let's take a picture. And, you know, he had a Polaroid camera back then. And, you tr- and you, what you did was you hold the fish out away from you to make it look bigger than, you know, it really is. Well, I didn't really have to do that. I can hardly get two fingers, my thumbs in its mouth, holding the damn thing out there. And, uh, you know, just as far as I could hold it. And uh, Lenny goes, all right, we got to call the ranger. That might be a record. And so we call the ranger. He shows up about an hour later over there and weighs it and all this shit. And sure shit, it was the largest trout caught in, in North America that year. I got my name in Field and Stream and all this crap and everything else. And uh, it was like, God, I think it was 17 pounds and some. It was, it was a monster trout. I mean, this thing was so big. And so I didn't really realize this, but we've got a picture in the guidebook of this girl. Because people pull big fish out of there, 10, 8, 10, 12 pounders all the time. They call them hogs. My fish was real long. It was a brown trout. It was a hybrid is what it was. And, uh, but they are, you know, catch these big fish out of there. But this girl, somebody sent me a picture of this girl on Facebook. This is 2023. This was in the fall of 2022 out there on Henry's Lake. And she finally, somebody finally broke my record. It took that long. It took except for for some and some girl has got this picture. It's in the guidebook, and she's holding this trout out there. And gee, Manatly, she's got this huge smile on her face. She's a twenty-five year old girl or something like that holding that trout out there, and she finally broke my record. And so it's like, man, I, you know, we've a uh, record's been held for since nineteen sixty or whatever it was seventy-two, and all this crap. It's like, wow. So I didn't, yeah, because well, she obviously caught hers legally, and. So 
so, but anyway, so yeah, that was the story. My, my, we've pulled some big trout out of, out of Lake Henry's. I mean, you guys can go do it. It's easy. They're fishing on Lake Henry's is not difficult. You know, you got boats you can rent there, and I'll tell you all that stuff in the guidebook. And and uh, yeah, fishing on Lake Henry's is a ball. It's a beautiful lake. I, t- I tell the story in, the, in my other story podcast about Lake Henry's, about how it used to be Indian burial grounds, and how we used to go water skiing out there, and how we go surfing on Lake Henry's. We'd get every fat kid in camp to sit on the back of Uncle Jack's boat, and we'd haul two surfboards up there. We would surf across Lake Henry's for every summer for when we were kids until we were damn near mid, mid, mid-age adults. So, but uh, yeah, Lake Henry's is fun. It's beautiful high mountain lake and Sawtell Peaks over there to the right. The Black Mountains are off to the, the north right there a little bit. It's really, really a pretty area right through there, and it's only 15 miles from the west entry gate of Yellowstone Park. So, all right, so that's the first story of Lake Henry's for you guys. So let's let's get into that next story next, which is about a guy named Jim Erickson, this friend of my dad's, and about gambling and, and paying your debts and, and things like that. It's kind of a this is a good moral story on this next one. All right, so this is a little, I'm a little older now, and I was probably, I was in high school, and what I was doing, I was running from Staley Springs, it was about two and a half miles back to the highway back there, where you got off the highway on the north side of Lake Henry's, and you drove down this dirt road down to Lake Henry's down there. So I was running that a couple times a day to get in shape for football season back in Oklahoma when we got back home because I knew I was missing two a days in football because I was up in, in, in Idaho like we I always was. But I showed up and I was always in shape and the coaches knew all that yada yada that I'd show up in shape and be ready to go for football. So I'm running back and forth that road a couple times a day and this guy named Jim Erickson, he was a big fat guy. And uh, he was probably, God, I guess 50, 55 at the time, but he probably weighed close to 300 pounds. But he asked me one day, they were up there just visiting with my parents. They were staying about a week and, you know, people would come and go from Oklahoma and other areas that, you know, would come up there to go fishing and go into the park and all that yada yada. And so he goes, hey, Tanny, I want to lose some weight. I want to get in shape. He goes, can I run with you one day? And, you know, and I go, sure. Okay. You know, I kind of think he's going to be able to do it. But, you know, he gets out there and he jogs along and all that stuff. He makes it about halfway. I kind of finish up and I come back and he goes, I'll just, you know, catch me on the way back. So I catch him on the way back and then the next day he goes let's go he was all excited to go again and you know he makes it a little further and all this kind of stuff and so he does that for two or three or four days and this other guy that was up there visiting with my family. He was named Horace Jones, and they owned a bunch of property in Hawaii, and my dad was partners with them and on some storage units and things in Hawaii, and they lived in Hawaii. They had a couple homes in Hawaii. That's where I lived after I graduated from college for a year. I lived in one of their homes out in Hawaii for a year every day. He's sitting there, and every evening, my parents, my dad, they all loved to gamble, you know, just kind of play cards in the evening before dinner. They're going to go to dinner somewhere. They'd, they'd play a Nassau gin rummy for about a dime a point. You know, somebody would lose 50 or 60 bucks, 100 bucks. You know, they got killed or most people would lose 20 or 30 bucks. But, you know, they'd gamble golfing. They'd gamble on every – and very competitive. Everybody was very, very competitive. So – 
Horse Jones sees Jim Erickson running back and forth from the road, and they're in there, they're in there playing cards and all this crap. I'm just over there, you know, helping my mom cook dinner or do whatever. I can't remember. Yeah, Jim goes, yeah, I'm kind of getting good at it. You know, I said, yeah, he actually makes it to the road and back. I mean, that's five miles. That's a that's a good run at seven thousand feet of altitude. That's a that's a pretty good jog. And so he wouldn't make it the whole way running. You have to stop and walk, but he did it. And so we're sitting there, and, and um, Horace Jones goes, well, I'll bet you $10,000 you can't run up the top of that hill and back. And it's what it is. It's called Black Mountain, and this is this ridge, mountain ridge that runs on the north side of Lake Henry's. You know, everybody kind of looks out the window and looks at that deal and all this kind of – you can kind of see these Jeep roads that went up about halfway and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Jim Erickson goes, ten grand. And uh, he goes, my dad, you know, everybody goes, yeah, yeah, Jimmy. He goes, 10000 bucks. He goes, well, how's it going? How are we going to do this? He goes, well, we're just going to cut you loose at the road. You're going to go up there and, you know, wave a flag or something like that or let some balloons go. Somebody said, let some balloons go. And so they go, all right. So they shook hands on this deal. They shook hands. And when you shook hands on a wager with, with anybody in our group, especially my father, and that was it. That was your bond. That was your word. You could not go back on your word. If you lost a wager, you had to pay it. I, I learned my lesson early on about you know golfing and things like this and playing golf when I was we got pretty good at golf and you know I better bring my own cash. You know even though I was in high school, I better have my own cash when we go play golf because if I win or I lose, I'm paying my debt. And uh, that's how it worked. You you made a wager. You shook hands on it, and and it was it. That was just like it, it might as well be written in blood. And when you shake hands on a wager, and ten thousand dollars in nineteen seventy five. Let me tell you how much money that is today. Ten thousand bucks is now six. That was a sixty one thousand five hundred and thirty four dollar bet in twenty twenty three. So this is a substantial bet. I mean, this is this is not a. a, a small amount of money. This is a large amount of money. And it isn't expected to be paid in cash. That's how everybody worked. And Horace Jones had it. He was a multimillionaire. He he had the money. It wasn't even that big deal to him. So this whole big scenario just goes through camp like wildfire over there at Staley Springs. Somebody tells somebody out on the lake and it goes over there to Wild Rose and everybody at Wild Rose is all geared up about it. So they set a date. It was like a Saturday or a Sunday, and Jimmy Morey, he was going to be the guy that was kind of the judge of how far he could make it, because you couldn't make it to the summit. There was a huge hundred foot tall straight rock face. He was going to make it to the bottom of that rock face. You couldn't, you know, climb the the rock face to get to the summit. It was impossible, and so. He was going to get up there, and he was going to let some balloons go. But Jimmy Morey had this big badass telescope, and he was going to watch him, you know, get up there to see how far he made it. So we all get up there about Saturday morning, and he's all geared up. You know, he's got his little running shoes on and all this stuff. Well, you get over there to that road. And you get you go through this barbed wire fence, hop over this guy's barbed wire fence, and you see what looks like a jeep road. Well, it ain't much of a jeep road at all. It's just a spot where somebody drove a car a few years ago or a jeep a few years ago to go up a few hundred yards. And you got and this he's going to climb four four thousand feet, maybe five thousand feet. I mean, it, it is a substantial mountain. It is a big mountain. It's not a small deal. It's going to take hours or all day. 
And so he gets over there and they cut him loose. And I mean, there's 100, 150 people all over the place. There's people posted up on the side of the highway with binoculars and all this crap. People are driving by, what are you looking at? We're going to watch this guy run up the side of the hill for $10,000. I mean, there's people pulled over on the side of the highway, complete strangers, had no idea what was going on, and just sit there for hours watching him work his way up this hill. Well, after about about noon, every, every the, the kind of the newness wore off of everything, and he he's sitting there, and you know, there's so nobody's really paying attention, and Jimmy Morey's down there, kind of watching him, and got him on this badass telescope, and over there at Staley Springs, you can see over there and see him going up there, and people are coming and going up and down the highway and all this stuff. What are you guys looking at? Some big fat guy running up the side of this hill over here for ten grand, and. Oh, no kidding. So they, I mean, they're just cars. I mean, I've got the, the highway patrol came by a couple times and had to shoo everybody off and everything else. So anyway, he gets up there. And so he is working his way up this deal. And so when you, you guys don't realize it, but if you get off the road and start getting out into the brush, sagebrush isn't knee high. That sagebrush is waist high or chest high. And it is just... It's terrible. It's awful. It's it's very very prickly and sticky and and it's sharp and and it's just it's it's a nightmare. So he is walking his way. He's three hundred pound guy up this damn hill, and he gets up there and, and he's he's up there. And Jimmy Morey goes, "All right, he's made it. He has made it up there. He's at the base of the deal. I can see him." And everybody goes, "Okay, he did it. He you know he did it and all this kind of stuff." And he starts coming back down, and so we go over there a couple hours later because it took him, God, almost four or five hours to get up there, and he was on his way back down. He got back down where we could actually see him. He was cut, bleeding. One of his shoes was just shredded, almost gone. He's carrying like the sole of it in his hand. He's bleeding from his chest all the way down. His arms are cut. I mean, he is in miserable shape. His, I mean, he's just barely got any shorts left. His shirt looks like he got attacked by a, a mountain lion and a bear simultaneously. I mean, he is in bad shape. We ran him to the clinic and t- took him to the clinic up here in West Yellowstone and got him cleaned up, bandaged up, got him some antiseptic and all this stuff. You know, he was in bad shape. We, we thought we were going to have to hospitalize him down in Rexburg or take him to Bozeman or something like that. I mean, he was really hurt. He was not in good shape. I mean, he, he looked like he had got drugged down a six-mile piece of, of dirt road behind a truck and then got attacked by a mountain lion and a bear. I mean, he looked terrible. And so, you know, we get him all fixed up. He goes back. He goes to sleep for about three hours. He gets up. At dinner time, and they come over there. They're playing cards again. He's got all these bandages all over him, and he's showered up and he's cleaned up and all this kind of stuff. And you know, we're sitting there playing cards, and my dad tells Horace, he goes, "Pain, you know, write him a check, give him cash, whatever. You, you got to pay him because because Jim was leaving the next day. Either Jim was leaving the next day, or Horace is leaving the next day. And you know, you got to pay your debts. You're, you the money's due. He did it." Jimmy Morey said he did it. I'll tell you my the faith my family put in Jimmy Morey. If my parents had gotten killed in a, like a plane crash or a whatever, you know, got died in a car, car car crash or something like that, and I was still still alive, 
uh, I went to Jimmy and Mary Morey. That's they were going to raise me for the rest of my life. That is the faith that my parents put in Jimmy and Mary Morey. And when Jimmy Morey said he made it, he made it. Nobody, nobody was going to argue that fact. Jimmy Morey was as golden as as you could get. Really straightforward guy. Really nice guy. Very adventurous. Very good guy. And uh, Horace goes, nope, he didn't make it. He didn't let the balloons go. And he did have a pocket full of balloons. Those balloons were, you know, long gone, you know, about halfway up. You know, they just got shredded. I mean, everything he owned got shredded. I mean, you you know, he's down to his underwear, basically, is what he was down to. One shoe and and carrying the other one. And, I mean, he was, yeah, he just, you know, looked like he got attacked by a bear and a grizzly bear and everything else at the same time. Looked like he got attacked by Snaggletooth. And so, you know, and uh, Horace goes, no, he didn't release the balloons and dad goes are you not going to pay him and uh, Horace goes nope not going to pay him and nobody really said a word no you know nobody said a word about any of that and you know and he goes okay if that's your decision that's your decision everybody kind of argued about it for a few minutes but then my dad really kind of let it go and then um, when we got back from into Oklahoma City my dad kind of sat me down and he goes I want you to realize something. He goes, I sold everything that we owned in Hawaii with Horace Jones the next morning after he welched on that bet. And uh, I said, uh, I said, no kidding. And he goes, yeah. I, he goes, well, I cashed out of all of the storage units and all of the properties that we had with him. And he goes, he, I can't trust him. He goes, I can't. Once he welched on that bet, I, he shook Jim Erickson's hand, and once he welched on that bet, he goes, I can't trust that guy anymore. And he goes, that was it. He goes, I got out of all the properties. No hard feelings. They were still friends. But he goes, we have no more property holdings in, in Hawaii. I'm like, okay, I understand completely. And he goes, Teddy, goes, you just you know, remember that. If somebody welches on a bet after they shook hands on it, their word is no good anymore. Their, their word as a man to, to be able to trust them in business operations or anything else is no good anymore. You can't do business with those people. You can be friends with them, but you can't do business with those people anymore because a man's is only as good as his word, and Horace Jones' word is now worth nothing. So I, I really took that as a, you know, I, I agree. My dad helped start up numerous companies, numerous businesses with friends of mine. They're friends still with me today that walked in, you know, with a quarter tank of gas and a pickup truck to our nursery in Oklahoma City and walked in and said, Mr. Garland, I can't pay for anything. He goes, but I'll, if you loan me some plants or give me some plants on credit, I'll take them and I'll go back and I'll, I'll put them in for these people. I'll collect a check and I'll bring you back your money. And, uh, Dad would talk to them for a little while, and you know, and he'd go, "Okay, you know, if he judged their character, and and he would shake their hand on it, and he goes, if you welch on this, you will never, you'll never be able to drive in that gate. I won't let you drive in the gate again. I don't care if you're waving hundred dollar bills, you can't drive in my gate again. I won't sell you anything. And these these are two of the biggest companies in Oklahoma now." Two of the biggest lawn maintenance company, hundreds if not a thousand employees, because of those handshake deals that my dad started up with these two guys. 
They're both good friends of mine. And so, yeah, it's really, you know, that is the way it should be. You know, if a man shakes your hand and he doesn't honor that handshake, then his word is worth nothing and you cannot do business with that person. So, all right, so that's story number two. That was kind of a little heavy ending, but man, that Jim Eriks, man, he, he was just torn to shit, man. I swear, I thought we were going to have to put him in the hospital. God, he had to lose a pint of blood. I mean, just blood pouring all down him, man. He looked like, I swear if that if a highway patrol or a policeman had been there, we'd, we'd have probably got thrown in jail for abuse. I mean, he was in bad shape. I mean, I think he, when he flew back, he had to go get a doctor and get stitches and stuff. I mean, we had him bandaged up head to toe. He looked like a mummy. <laughs> so anyway, all right, let's get into the last story. I try to keep these pot, these story podcasts short. Just It's just stuff for you guys when you're driving through the park and you've already listened to all the stuff and you know where you're going, you're good, oh, you're doing. It's just stuff to listen to to have fun while you're driving through the park. So, we're going to talk about the magic show that was actually really, really good. And I'm, this is a fantastic deal. It's the best thing I've ever seen, best magician show I've ever seen at Henry's Lake. And we're going to get into that next, and it's really, really, really a good story. All right, your last story about Lake Henry's over there is about this magic show. And there was this guy named Doc Evans, and he was actually a big-time magician at the Magic Castle out in California. And uh, so what we would do is every year, about every July 4th weekend or somewhere right around there, we would have this big sing-along. Everybody in camp, I mean, there would be a 100 people go up to the lodge at Staley Springs right there, jam into this little, this this room. We had to get a couple couches on the walls and a fireplace. And, and my dad and my Uncle Bud would get up there and lead everybody in singing. We'd sing Old Ang Syne and, and Daisy, Daisy. I still have the sheets of the songs that we would sing in, in a closet over here. I still have the songs that we would sing. And we would finish it off with God bless America, and there's a lot of veterans and stuff. My dad was a veteran, and, and a lot of veterans there back then in the day. And this is back in the '70s again, and late, you know, late '70s. And and uh, I mean, there's people standing up, you know, with you know, giving a salute. I mean, it was a big deal. It was really cool. It was actually really, really cool. We do the deal, and and so then after this big sing along, everybody's there, and everybody's having a ball, and and Doc Evans would put on this magic show, and so just everybody would just show up, and. And he had a couple of amazing tricks. He was really good at hypnotizing people. He could hypnotize my mother like that. So that I'll tell you, here we'll just kind of do three things that kind of get into this magic show. So back then, this is when uh, John Travolta had just come out with the movie Saturday Night Fever. And so whatever year that was, it had just come out, and John Travolta was the, the guy. I mean, he was on the cover of every magazine and everything else out there, and just, you know, John Travolta was the guy. And so he, Doc Evans hypnotizes my wife, Anne. And so we're there with about a few friends, uh, 
Skip Gregathy's in some of these, and John Robbins, and Tommy and Jenny Evenson, and they're they they were kind of perennial goers. They'd come up for about a week, and you know, kind of stay with us, and they would kind of we'd time it so we could go see this magic show because it was that good. It was really good. So he brings my wife up there, and and he hypnotizes her, and she does some funny stuff and all this kind of stuff. Well, the last thing he tells her is that you're gonna when you, I snap my fingers and he goes you're going to wake up you're going to have to you know sit in your in the couch over there and then you're going to see John Travolta straight across from you over there. There's this guy over there, man. He's, he's just some old man. He's just telling his fishing shit. He's got blood on him. He's got, got a bunch of lures hanging off his chest and all this stuff. And, you know, wearing an old beat-up hat with a bunch of fishing lures and crap in it and all this stuff. You know, this guy looks about as far from John Travolta as you're going to get. So anyway, everybody's kind of, you know, he goes. she goes over there and he goes... And uh, we're all just kind of sitting there, and she kind of looks around, and you know, and, and we're, she kind of looks around. She goes, "What's everybody so quiet for?" And uh, you know, she kind of glances across there, and she goes, "Oh shit!" And she kind of leans over next to me, and she gets over, and she goes. John Travolta's at Staley Springs. <laughs> you know, there's this guy over there, man. He's about 65 years old. And you know, he's just, everybody's looking at him, and she's just staring at him. She's nudging Jennifer Evenson. Oh, my God, it's John Travolta. And, I mean, it's just everybody's dying laughing. <laughs> it's just nuts, man. He, was, he could really hypnotize people. He hypnotized my mom all the time. It was amazing. He could get... He'd hypnotize six, eight people at a time. It was amazing. He was really, really, really good at it. And so, yeah, it was just too much, too funny. And so the, the next thing he did, he did a whole big series of tricks. But my friend Skip was the biggest skeptic of this next trick. And he could he, he, he claimed he could read your mind. And so what he would do... <clears throat> is he would pick somebody out of the crowd and they would go over there's this book stand there's this little four foot by four foot tall book stand just filled with paperback novels that people would bring and they'd you know read one and bring one and dump one and grab one and they're just you know there's 50 books in this thing and people you know Louis L'Amour books and like my dad would read he'd read a Louis L'Amour book and bring it over there and set it down and grab another one so Skip had talked to Doc Evans he goes I want I want to do that this time now I want to I want to be the guy he goes I, I don't believe it and he goes well all right you really got to concentrate but you, I'll let you do it and so we get down there to the to the mind reading part. So Doc Evans goes, we have a skeptic in our midst. Uh, he's seen this for years now. And Skip had seen this thing for, God, five or six, seven years at least. And uh, so he goes, Mr. Gregeth, go over there. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of people standing in the back. I mean, they're 10 deep. I mean, little kids are right in front of them where Doc Evans is. There's like 30 or 40 little kids down there. And their eyes are just, you know, big as silver dollars. You're sitting on the floor, Indian style. And so Skip goes over there and... He goes, and, he, and Skip's just, he knows there's a plant. There's got to be somebody that feeds him the information about what is in the book. And so what the deal was, he was going to pick out a word in a book at complete random. And Doc Evans was going to read your mind and tell you what it was. Skip just couldn't believe that. Skip's a smart guy, too. 
I mean, Skips holds numerous degrees and petroleum engineering and all this stuff. I mean, it's it's Skips a bright guy. So Skip goes over there. He grabs two or three books so nobody can see which book he's going to use. And then he kind of sits there and he kind of puts a couple, you know, in his pant pocket and in his belt and and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he's really going to do it this time. And he's got his back turned to everybody. And and he opens this book up and uh, Doc Evans goes... Just pick a word. Pick one word. And Skip goes, all right, I got it. And he shuts the book. He's got both hands over there, but he's got his thumb on his right finger on that word. And Doc Evans goes, everybody just be dead quiet. Kids be quiet. And he goes, and he was just stand there, and he kind of put his you know fingers on his forehead and everything else. And Skip, he goes, I'm... I'm I'm working on it. I'm working on a connection. There's a lot of people in the room. And he goes, you're on page 300, 300 something, 300, 300. Okay. All right. He goes, it looks like you're 323 maybe, 328 maybe. And he goes, no, no, stop. Yeah, yes. And he goes, you're, you're uh, eight lines down maybe. And Skip's, you know, he goes, you really have to concentrate, Mr. Greg. It's really concentrate. And Skip's got this book sitting there closed with his thumb on this, this word. And he goes, it's, it's five letters, maybe six, maybe five. It's got an R in it. Somebody said something, and he goes, "Stop! Everybody, got to be quiet. Everybody, got everybody, be quiet." Skips back there, just you know, got this book tucked up, man, just tucked up, and you know, and he goes, "It's got an E in it. It's got two E's in it. Um, it's not here. It's where. It's where or there. Where or there." It's where, it's where, W-H-E-R-E, it's where. And Skip walks over there with that book tucked up, and he goes, come come show everybody. He hadn't moved his thumb. His hands clasped around that book, opens that book up, and his thumb is right on where. It was unreal. I saw it for 15 or 20 years. I mean, it, it took, it take, that whole thing took about five minutes, four or five minutes, he would work his way through it. He would get to the page. He would figure it out. And I swear to God, he could read your mind. Everybody, are you guys are listening to this going, there's no way. I, I saw it. Skip couldn't believe it. We, we left and went to had dinner or something somewhere. And he just goes, how does he do it? And Skip still thought there was a ploy. And he goes, there's no way. There is absolutely no way. He goes, I had about four words picked out. And I slid my thumb down onto one of the words when I had the book closed. There's no way anybody could see that. And he goes, and I knew where my finger was, but the book was closed on where. And he goes, it, it just couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. That guy could read your mind. I swear it was the craziest thing ever. He, it, it, I saw it. For, you guys are listening to this podcast going, there's no way. 
I saw it for 20 years, 25 years. That's how long this mag- magic show went. It's up until my dad died in 1990. My dad drowned on Lake Henry's and saved a little boy's life out there on the lake while he did it or helped save a boy's life. That story's in the guidebook. I'm telling you, he could read your mind. I'm telling you, it just it boggles the mind, but he could do it. The last thing he did was the coup de grace. And I've seen a lot of cool tricks. I've seen... Pin and Teller out in Vegas do the bullet catch and the whole nine yards and all that stuff and everything else. So he would sit there, and so here's the last trick. He'd get a, a somebody would bring an old towel from the kitchen or something back there, and he'd go, "All right, everybody and the kids." He goes, "Kids, I want you to scoot back," and he put this towel down there. Anybody that's squeamish with blood, I want you to see. Please sit down or have somebody please hold you. And so anybody that might might faint at the sight of blood. And so he would go, who has a knife? Who has a fillet knife? And my dad carried a Rapala. I mean, this thing was a 12-inch razor blade. And so this thing, I mean, you, you, it would slice a piece of paper in the air in half. It was so sharp. And all the fishermen had one like that. Everybody carried a really good fillet knife because you'd catch fish on Henry's, bring them up there to the deal, clean them on this deal, and then you'd take them, rinse them all off, and then take them to your cabin. You didn't clean them your cabin. You cleaned them down about the, this fishing area down there and you had to have a good knife after you got off the lake you know they, everybody's got these rapalas and these other knife man they're just razor blades on with a handle on the end of it and so somebody to hand him a knife and so he goes i want everybody to uh, look at this knife they pass this knife around about 10 guys and everybody to look at it and just sharper than crap i mean somebody cuts their finger on it and then he'd go uh, here's it. He goes, everybody, who has a handkerchief? Everybody carried a handkerchief. My dad carried a handkerchief back then. Everybody carried a handkerchief. And so, you know, I, 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 here's this handkerchief. Everybody passes this handkerchief. There's nothing on it. There's nothing in it and all this. And so he would take this handkerchief and wrap it around his left thumb. And he would just kind of put it in a knot and hold on to it where this thumb was about the only thing you could see sticking out of it. He would take this Rapala knife this, and just start sawing on his thumb right above his big joint and his second joint and just sawing on his thumb with this knife. And I mean, blood's just pouring down his hand and onto this towel on the floor down here. Two or three, a couple little kids start screaming and crying, oh my God, look at the blood. And some lady would scream in the back and faint. And some guy would catch her. And I mean, blood's going everywhere. He's just sawing on his fingers. almost like he's sawing his thumb off. I mean, blood's going everywhere. And everybody, he goes, does everybody see the blood? Everybody goes, yeah, we got it. We see the blood. And I mean, everybody's freaking out. Everybody's scooting back in their chairs and all this crap and everything else. And he takes that, that hanky and he wipes it around his thumb and spins it around in a circle real quick. And he goes, I dare anybody to find the cut. And there's just a pool of blood in front of the guy. So here goes about five guys and a couple women and a couple kids going up there, and you could not see where his hand was cut. It was amazing. I, I don't know. Because the only thing sticking out of the thing was his thumb. It's not like he's got a bag of ketchup underneath there or it's in his hand or anything. You know, he wraps it all up, and everybody saw the hanky. And there was just blood everywhere. And I mean, kids are freaking out and crying. Little girls running back to find their parents while he's up there sawing on his thumb. And I mean, Skip gets up. Skip, big skeptic, gets up there. He goes, 
God Almighty, man. And, you know, and he, then, he, then he looks at the, the hanky to smell it to see if there's anything on there besides blood. or I mean, like if there was some chemical or something that would seal that cut. There's nothing. It was the coolest magic show in the whole world, man. I swear it was just put on in this little little room in this lodge, this little janky, falling down, creaky floor lodge up there at Lake Henry's at Staley Springs. It was cool. It was just too cool. I mean, it was just the hippest magic show ever. I mean, blood everywhere. People get hypnotized. John Travolta, that book deal, reading people's minds. It was so cool. I mean, there's there's people that my friends still talk about it. They'll go see a, a show in Vegas, magic show or something like that. Just, you know, they don't hold a candle. People are paying hundreds of dollars to go see a show in Vegas. And this stupid show, this magic show up there at Staley Springs is the, the cat's meow. It's the best magic show I've ever seen in my life. It's just badass. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I mean, it, it, it all ended in 1990 when my dad died. And Doc Evans died, I think, the year after that. And... Uh, uh, yeah, I was just, you know, it all kind of ended with my, my father's death. Uncle Jack had died a couple years before that, and, uh, you know, it all kind of started to come to an end. And Staley Springs is now gone. There's one cabin. There's all these janky red cabins have all got torn down. There's one called the Summer Home that still sits there today. And if you guys want to go out there and look at it, right in front of the Summer Home, there is a monument to some of the original fishermen and founders of Lake Henry's and they had a deal called the Lake Henry's Foundation and I don't think it exists anymore but they put up this white marble kind of like headstones I guess it looks like with about I don't know there's probably 40 or 50 people's names on there that there were the original founders to get Henry's Lake really established and to keep the fish you know population up and and all this kind of yada yada and uh, my dad's name's on that thing. And uh, so is Uncle Jack's and Uncle Bud's and uh, Doc Evans' name's on there, too. It's uh, If you guys drive by there, and now there's just, instead of these old janky cabins and places to park the trailers, there's just multi-million dollar homes down through there. I'll, I'll finish off the last story. I just thought of it when those, I was kind of thinking about the motor homes down through there. The uh, I grew up with this kid up there. He was a, a Mormon from outside of Salt Lake City. And they stayed at this trailer, this a permanent trailer kind of down there where all people would park, we'd park our motorhome down there called the Thiokol Trailer. The Thiokol Trailer uh, was the company that made the solid rocket boosters for the space shuttle. And me and that kid grew up together for probably since we were six or seven years old till we were about... 14 or 15. We were riding motorcycles and stuff everywhere around there, Honda 90s. And um, boy, that the, the space shuttle blew up and never laid eyes on that kid or his dad again. That was it. Because they, the, his dad, and that's a, they, you know, a great kid, and uh, never laid eyes on him again because the space shuttle blew up. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in my room. We had a satellite dish. There was nobody ever. That thing was going up. People don't realize it today, but that thing was going up so regularly. Every you know three or four weeks or a month that we were shooting off a, the space shuttle to go up to the space station and drop something off or do this or launch a satellite or do whatever. It was going off all the time. And that thing blew up. The Challenger blew up. And uh, I went in there and I, I was working on a drawing. I went and talked to my dad and I said, did you just see that? I think the, the space shuttle just blew up. And he goes, no way. And I turned out and looked and you could see it just 
it just exploded in midair and those rock solid rocket boosters had given out and the seals gave out on the solid rocket boosters that the thiacol company made down there in salt lake city and that was it never laid eyes on that kid again all right, so that's it. That's the story. some Henry's Lake stories for you guys to listen as you're driving around through Yellowstone Park. And remember, you guys, you know, Yellowstone Park's great. Everybody wants to go see the park, but if you guys want to enjoy some of the stuff outside the park, Henry's Lake's a great place to go. Beautiful, beautiful views, and you can see the Tetons from Henry's Lake, the peaks of the Tetons, and uh, good golf courses over there, and the Sawtell Peaks, gorgeous, and all kinds of trails to go around back there and and uh and obviously you can catch some big trout and you can actually do it legally so but yeah there's some fun stuff to do over there at lake henry's and so like i say the fun doesn't stop when you guys leave the gates of yellowstone park it, in fact it's some, for some people it just starts and lake henry's is a great place to look at for uh, an airbnb over there uh, beautiful big homes. You can rent one of those multi-million dollar homes right where I grew up as a kid today. And uh, you can rent a boat and have it kept sitting there waiting on when you get out and do a little fishing when you get out in the park. So, all right. You guys have a great time in Yellowstone Park. And uh, I'll throw another story podcast up there as soon as I get time to do it, hopefully in the next few days. And I hope you guys enjoy these. And uh, everybody go, have a good time. So, remember, you guys can pick up a guidebook. It uh, really helps you guys out. Have a great trip to Yellowstone Park. And I tell the story in that guidebook. It's one of the few big stories I've left in the guidebook about how my dad saved this boy's life after uh, he had been uh, he had had colon cancer and all this stuff. But that helped save this 14 year old boy's life and ended up drowning on Lake Henderson. That story's in the guidebook. I'm not going to get into it here. I'll never make it through it without just bawling like a little girl. So, um, But you guys have a great time. Go to our website and get an inst- instant download for only $11.99 or a, pa- a paperback copy for $24.99. And I'll write a personal note to everybody buys one and throw you in a cool Yellowstone sticker. So you guys have a great time. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.